listening to In the Booth, a politics podcast from the Frederick News Post. My name is Jack Hogan, and I cover county and state politics for the News Post. In the coming days, we'll be publishing interviews with candidates for Frederick County Executive and Frederick County Council to help voters get to know more about some of the local names that will be on their ballots in November. Today's guest is Frederick County Councilman Steve McKay, who since 2018 has represented Council District 2, covers the southeastern part of the county, including Newmarket, Linganor, Imesville, and parts of Urbana and Mount Airy. Councilman McKay works as a national security professional for GCI Incorporated, and he's the Republican nominee in the race for the District 2 seat on the Frederick County Council. His opponent on the Democratic side is Lisa Jarosinski, who runs her own business preparing tax returns and bookkeeping. Councilman McKay and Jarosinski squared off in the 2018 general election, too. McKay was elected by more than 4,000 votes, or 17 percentage points. Councilman McKay, welcome to the newsroom and Hi. in the booth. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, first off, would you walk me through your decision to run for another term? Yeah, sure. Um, so it, it kind of mirrors the original decision, I guess. We'll start from there. And the original decision was based, you know, in large part, um, you know, having had a history of working on county issues, mostly development-related issues, you know, as the president of rail for, you know, those years beforehand, um, got very involved, very interested in the local issues. Um, and, you know, just found myself at a juncture where having been arguing and complaining and most mostly arguing um, about how the prior a prior county government was operating. Uh, I just came to the conclusion, the decision that, you know, if I'm going to complain about how others are doing it, I ought to be willing to try to do it myself. And 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 it's almost like you ought to be will you know responsible, you know, and willing to do it yourself. And and that's why I ran the first time, and I still think that now. Um, you know, I feel that, um, I feel like I've accomplished, uh, a good amount in this term. I feel very proud about the, uh, the, um, the legislative accomplishments that I've made, but there's more to be done. And one thing that, you know, I'm very mindful about is that this last council, we really haven't been tested, um, or asked to make very many at all land use decisions. You know, we've had the Livable Frederick Master Plan, we're looking at Sugarloaf now, but from the standpoint of new development decisions, there's only one of significance. We had maybe a small one in the Ballinger Creek area, Um, but that was Cromwell. And and I think in part, and the the prior council had very little um, put forward to them in terms of new land use decisions, new development decisions. And I think that's in large part because the county is still digesting all of the land use decisions that were made between 2012 and 2014. That will end. And if, say, a new major development you know, decision came before the next council, and I weren't there to be part of it, and it impacted my community, I'd be kicking myself. So I want to be there to help make um, smart decisions when those new land use requests do come to the next council, which I suspect they will. All right. What do you feel is the most important issue in in the county council race right now? You might have already touched on it, but 
Is it something other than development? No, I do think that growth is, you know, growth impacts us in so many ways. So I think it is still an enduringly important issue that the county faces, and it's important in this election right now. Um, growth impacts us in so many ways, particularly when we make bad growth decisions. Because when we make bad growth decisions, then it affects the quality of life of the individuals who live in that area. It affects the county's ability to provide the needed services. You know, even the basic critical services like, are the roads adequate? Are the schools adequate to support those developments? Um, it has, that then implicates budgetary uh, and fiscal, you know, impacts. Because um, when, so first of all, when we grow too much with residential development, when we focus on residential development, like as was done between 2012 and 2014, um, residential development tends to be net negative from a tax revenue perspective. So it costs the county more to provide services to that development than we get back in tax revenues, property tax revenues, and, and all the other tax revenues that we get. So it has a lot of impacts. That impacts our budget, it impacts um, how much flexibility we have in our budget, and how, because it impacts you know, what we need to program into our CIP, um, and everything else in terms of the, the, the provision of services to those developments, if they're not um, decided well and smartly. And with an eye towards not just saying yes to a developer, but actually um, saying, okay, this is development in a place that we can manage from the standpoint of, you know, the infrastructures there and we can provide the services that will be needed. Um, so I think growth has been and continues to be a key uh, issue uh, for the county and for this election. And, I mean, how do you think the county should grow? I would prefer that the county grew modestly. When I hear that the count, Frederick County is like the fastest growing county in the state, and, and it's often said with pride, I cringe. I don't want to be the fastest growing county in the state. I would like to grow at, in the kind of the middle of the pack, you know, range. Um, I would like, just as I would like county government to grow more modestly, you know, but when population is growing steeply and the county government's growing steeply, then I, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. I would prefer that we grew at a modest pace, you know, because we're much, we're going to be much more able to keep up with that. Um, and we're going to be much less likely to be constantly sacrificing our, our, our farmland or sacrificing our quality of life, you know, to, you know, rampant development that, you know, makes parking lots of our, of our streets and, you know, overcrowds our schools. What would you say is your number one legislative priority heading into another term? Well, um... I'll, I'll tell you all of my number ones. <laughs> um, so uh, number one, just to follow on the growth, is just to uh, be being there and being mindful of making good growth decisions when they're presented to us. Okay. 
my other number one is uh, continuing to work on our property taxes, our property tax rates. Um, in the last term, I was able to uh, pass legislation that reduced the property tax, um, provided property tax, expanded property tax credits for our retired service members and for disabled service members. Move, looking ahead, I look, I'm and, uh, looking forward to uh, revisiting our property tax credit for our retired elderly and retired service, uniformed service members, because in the last legislative session in Annapolis, they took some of the handcuffs off the counties in terms of what we can do in that area. So when I was, when I, when my bill was passed, I worked with the, um, with, within the flexibility that the state allowed us to work and then push the envelope out in terms of expanding the tax credit. Now the state has allowed us even more flexibility in terms of the amount of the property tax credit, whether there's a maximum duration, so forth. So I look forward to readdressing that and providing even more in property tax credit, if I can get three other council members to agree with me. Because if you can't, you don't do anything. Um, I want to... I want to look really hard. I wasn't able to address this as, you know, nearly at all in the last session. I want to look really hard at our agribusiness area and seeing where in agritourism and seeing where we can provide more opportunity for our farm businesses to earn more revenues um, to help them stay in agriculture. Um, and I think we have, you know, it, it, it comes up in different ways and it remains to be a challenge. Um, but, and, and, I, and I just wasn't able to focus in on it in the last term and I want to in the next term. Um, so those are three of my number one priorities. Um, let's see. Um, <laughs> I do want to, there is an, ad, so right now we're, we're, um, we're going through my adequate public facilities ordinance bill, and, and I hope to get that accomplished um, this, uh, by the end of the term. Now, there was something, there was an aspect of this that I considered including, um, but ultimately decided not to for a couple reasons, one of which is that it really requires some additional study. Um, first before trying to legislate a solution. And this involves including in our adequate public facilities ordinance um, the, a public safety component. So right now our adequate public facilities ordinance includes uh, roads, schools, water, and sewer. But when we develop, we know implicitly that it also impacts our ability to provide public safety services. And therefore, wouldn't we want to look at how a new development impacts that ability to provide public safety? And I'm talking about police, and I'm talking about fire and rescue, right? And such that you then ask new development to mitigate their impact. And right now we don't. It's kind of, it kind of washes out in, the, in terms of the general provision of government services. Um, and there are some jurisdictions that do this and that include it as a component of their, their equivalent uh, APFO. Mount Airy has their own 
um, public safety component. And, and, but it's a little bit more complicated. It would be an entirely new um, um, component to the APFO. And most importantly, it require, in terms of, it requires some initial study, some baseline, because there's really two ways of doing it. You know, you can say that, well, for X population, we need X numbers of police or fire personnel. And such that if you're increasing the population through this development, you know, you need to pay for the increase in the number of personnel that will be required. That's one approach. Another approach is, um, okay, we have a baseline of, uh, you know, kind of service response rate, you know, in an area of a certain, you know, uh, density and population and development, you know, on average police, you know, get there and, X amount of minutes, fire gets there in X amount of minutes. And if we develop over here now, how will that affect the response rate? You know, it doesn't make it longer. If it does, you know, what do you need to do to mitigate that effect on response rate? So, and, I, and, and, and in order to address either of these approaches that have been taken, you gotta have a baseline so that you can then measure the impact. So that's something I'd like to, uh, I'm hoping to work on in the next term. All right. Well, switching gears a little bit now to uh, something the council has been working on uh, currently. Uh, since July, the county council has been holding meetings about the Sugarloaf Treasured Landscape Management Plan. We sure have. <laughs> it's a plan to preserve Sugarloaf Mountain and the land surrounding it, and it's the first area plan that is part of the larger Livable Frederick Master Plan, which the county passed in 2019 to guide development and preservation. You've proposed several amendments to the plan in hopes of appeasing Stronghold, the organization that owns the mountain. Uh, members of the Board of Trustees said they will close public access to the mountain if a version of the plan passes that they disagree with. Uh, what have you heard from Stronghold and from your fellow council members about whether your amendments may be a way to pass the plan and keep the mountain open? Well, they've, um, so they, I've had a number of discussions with them, uh, each of which I've disclosed as part of our ex parte disclosure requirements, and um, and they and it's basically covered. Um, I guess I'll say six different requests. They've sent a letter. You know, they had sent a letter to the council um, expressing their concerns and saying, "Here are the five things that you want you to, we want you to change in the plan." Previously, they'd you know, um, expressed two things, one of which was on the same list. So that's where I got my six, right? And, and I've addressed uh, amendments um, to each of those things. Five of them are the amendment expresses entire, exactly what they've asked for, Mater at least materially, you know, little tweaks here and there, right? And, um, and I would expect that those would pass uh, by the council. I don't think they're, the council would view them controversially. Uh, so the big issue, where it leaves us is the big issue, and they've asked to, um, you know, have the entirety of their land removed from the overlay, okay? And, and I have a lot of trouble with that because I have so much, it's hard for me to contemplate, you know, agree, you know moving ahead with a, a sugarloaf plan and an overlay that doesn't include sugarloaf, right? And so instead, what I proposed was uh, to exclude a smaller portion of their land that actually, uh, the portion that deals with the facilities that they use to manage and to make revenue 
um, on the land because I think therein lies uh, the heart a lot of a lot of their concerns and, and objections. And um, however, we have Councilmember Dacey has proposed separately his own amendment that does exclude the entirety of their property. So right now, if I'm stronghold, I'm not there. I'm not going to tell me or anyone else one way or another, you know, how I feel about these because I want to see where these votes go, right? So I really don't know hmm. where we'll be at the end of this. If, say, um, you know, Phil Dacey's amendment could pass and, um, and, 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 and I'll, I won't be very happy about that, um, but it could, and they'll be very happy about it. And of course, if my other amendments pass thereafter, then Stronghold will be very happy and they will have achieved what they sought. Um, I would rather do it by way of my amendment, but at the end of the day, I don't know if that will satisfy them. I don't. And we'll have to have that conversation uh, afterwards. We will have another, if, if any of these amendments pass, we're gonna have another public hearing. And so then we'll hear from them again. And, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll act accordingly at that point. But it's not just about stronghold. I don't know if you're, you're going to ask any more about sugar, sugar loaf. Because in, in, through these, all these meetings and through the, um, uh, a vast amount of public input we've been getting, um, there are really, uh, in my mind, there are really four core areas of what I'll call opposition to the plan. There is the, well, there's Mr. Natelli and his properties, which then revolves around the boundary issue. What's going to be the boundary of the overlay and of the plan, right? Their stronghold, which we just discussed. Then there are um, a number of large land holders or agrarian, you know, operations who have expressed specific kinds of concerns. And then there are just kind of the myriad smaller uh, landholders. And I've been, with all of the amendments that I put forward, I've really been trying to find areas of compromise with not the first one, but all the, all the other three. And so we talked about stronghold and talking about then about kind of the large, you know, um, ag, agricultural, um, you know, landholders and some of the things that I've heard from them. And it's, you know, largely talking with members of the Macintosh family. They've come up, you know, a number of times. Mm -hmm. and, um, and collectively they own, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres in the area. And I think it's, it's more than a thousand. I think you're right. I think, yeah, I, I, yeah I, maybe 1,300-ish. So. They, yeah. they told us that number at the last hearing. You're right. You're very right. And, um, and between them and the myriad you know, smaller landholders. One thing in common is the concern and opposition and, and just downright anger over all of the ag to RC zoning changes proposed in the plan. And so my amendment is to, re to basically remove that. It's like over 113 separate zoning, you know, property zoning changes. And because um, and I, I felt that with the overlap, with both the proposed zoning change to RC and the overlay, overlay, there's so much redundancy there. And we've talked about it a number of times with staff. Um, 
you know, I absolutely believe that it impacts the value of the land for those individuals in terms of their the uses that are allowed and their um, their subdivision rights in terms of their ability to develop, even just to be, the ability to provide a few lots for their family members, which is the typical concern that we heard. We heard an impassioned plea from one of the Macintosh, you know, family members who was just, I mean, the guy was just emotional even that this would interfere with his, his plans and intent to provide three lots to his children, you know, because the RC um, zoning is just so much more restrictive, you know, than um, on just simple things, you know, where you can put a driveway, you know. And staff in this proposal, and we went, again, we had multiple discussions about this, and they told us flat out they have not done an analysis of all of the um, uh, subdivision right impacts of this proposal. And I'm not satisfied with that. And, and due to the fact that there's such an overlap with the, um, with the overlay, which doesn't impact subdivision rights, you know, doesn't in the same way. Um, so that's, that I think is a, a very significant amendment to address both of those areas. Uh, uh, of opposition. I'm also um, looking at revisions to the prohibited use section, you know, and so my amendment right now it would be to um, reverse the prohibition on outdoor recreational activity and rodeo, which is in the current um, overlay language, just because those are two, you know, uh, areas of potential agribusiness that I don't think we should foreclose. Each of them would go through site plan review. So they, there will be review about, you know, for any particular proposal. So rather than just saying, no, you can't do it, it's, okay, let's evaluate your proposal when you want to do something. And I think that's a better approach. So I th I'm hoping that the combination of those things will alleviate a lot of the concerns um, from all of the ag landholders, basically, in the, uh, in the, the planning area. All right, <clears throat> and staying on the topic of livable Frederick, the county has already begun meeting with community members about the next regional plan. Uh, this one is called the South Frederick Corridors Plan. The plan will examine an area south of Frederick along Maryland 355 Urbana Pike and Maryland 85 Buckystown Pike, which is the second most economically significant region of the county, uh, second only to Frederick City. Goals for the plan include reinforcing and creating economic strengths and assets, supporting existing business and industries, and fostering innovation and opportunity. How can the county improve its public process for the plan uh, compared to the process it had for the Sugarloaf plan? Well, for starters, we're doing it outside of a pandemic. So, um, I mean, a lot of the complaints about the process in Sugarloaf were the fact that the, those initial kind of um, outreach meetings were done virtually and and you know and and we've made some improvements for you know in, in how we do virtual uh, meetings but not all of those improvements were in place by the time when we were starting doing Sugarloaf so um, it was inherently limited based upon the, that climate and so you know we have developers come in now and while while you're doing it so much better now and you know why couldn't you have done that with Sugarloaf uh, well I, I mean I Outside of, the outside of the restrictions of the pandemic that we can operate in now, we would have, right? 
And so actually what, I mean, the development community at least has been lauding how the, um, the South Frederick Corridor Plan has, has started to be conducted in terms of, you know, the ability to have, and this is important, I agree with them t- completely, the ability to have, you know, kind of not just people coming in and giving their three minutes of testimony, but actually having conversations, having working meetings where both citizens, stakeholders, and staff can actually talk and exchange ideas as these things are being developed. Uh, absolutely the way to go, right? Particularly in the early investigative stages of a plan like that. You know, it, it does, by necessity, it becomes a bit more formalistic as you move forward. You have public hearings and so forth with the Planning Commission and, and all, but um, I think the, uh, the way they're, they're bringing it together now um, is um, a very good method. And, and I'll also say this, it's a different kind of plan. And, you know, it's a plan about development opportunity, whereas the Sugarloaf Plan was a plan about preservation. And development opportunity plan is about ways to find yes, to say find yes, whereas a preservation plan is more about ways to find no, right? So inherently, they're very different types of plans, whereas the one, Sugarloaf, by its nature is more likely to bring about the kind of divisiveness that we've seen, whereas the South Florida Corridor Plan, by its nature, um, is more likely to have, yes, this is all good stuff, let's go forward. And, and therefore, yes, this is a great process. Whereas under the more preservation plan, well, it's a bad process because, you know, you're saying no to what I want to do. <laughs> Versus, you know, um, I don't think you'd have a lot of the people, well, when you're saying yes to saying no, and the people who advocate for you saying yes to saying no, now, it's a great process. See, now I'm all turned around. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You didn't follow that? <laughs> I thought it was rather clever. <laughs> uh, last year, the county council approved the $20 million purchase of a 26-acre property along Himes Avenue, yep. uh, which includes a 209,000-square-foot facility currently used for COVID-19 vaccine clinics. County purchased the property with the intentions of accelerating large projects like building new county offices, relocating the 911 call center, and potentially adding a library to to the west side of Frederick City. What do you think the property should be used for? Well, I voted in favor of it, so I, I agreed with that decision. I think it would it made a lot of sense. It was um, is it an opportunity to use an existing structure to satisfy a number of our planned uh, facility needs. So financially, it made a lot of sense. It saves us money, all right? Um, you know, I know that there's been um, a lot of concern and pushback. For, well, there's concern, there was pushback from the city because they had other ideas for it. My understanding is they, prob- they would probably have preferred just tearing it down and building a bunch of houses there or allowing someone to build houses there, right? Um, so that's one set of concerns. The, the more significant concern, concern is the concerns from port, a segment of the, the community over there that wanted to see one of the uses of the library in a different place to make it more walkable for them, right? Um, the, the, 
the ironic thing is that the company, the county actually did an analysis in terms of, you know, in the other location, which would be on the northern edge of a large plant park, you know, that the city wants to do, it would be walkable to the community north of the park, but there's no community south, you know, south of that location. So it's, it's actually walkable to more people at the Himes Avenue location. Um, I mean, that's just the data, but it's not as walkable to the people in the Hillcrest community where the Frederick City location, the location by the Frederick City Park has been, you know, proposed. And, um, and they've been the louder voice. Um, so, and I get it. I, I understand, you know, you want it. If you're, you know, if you live in a community, you know, you want to advocate for things that will best serve your community. Um, but the differences are, they're, they're, they're not that, you know, large when you talk about locating it, Himes, Himes Avenue versus that area. Um, I think it's even expanded beyond that. The city now has three other proposals that they have not made uh, public yet, but... Yeah, and I haven't seen uh, nothing. I haven't. I do recall hearing about that. I haven't. I have no idea where they're proposing. I mean, if we could put, hey, if we could, um, you know, so yeah, let's see what they propose. I mean, you know, plans can change. Um, I'm I'm open minded to it. I mean, I made the decision I did because I thought it made sense. You know, if uh, the circumstances change and someone can. Uh, bring forward a different option that also makes sense, then I'm open to reconsidering it. But All right. Uh, well, Councilman McKay, I, I'm out of questions, and we're also up on time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming in, and thanks for joining us in the booth. Oh, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.